Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today's guest is somebody that I have a tremendous amount in common with. It's actually kind of crazy, and that's actually why we're doing this podcast. Um, We had some mutual friends. I checked out his content. I hit him up and said, yo, we have so much in common. We should definitely podcast. Uh, So we decided to record one for mine, record one for his. Um, And his name is Kyle Hunt. He runs Hunt Fitness, and he is the author of three different strength books, which we are going to get into at the end of this podcast. But today you're going to learn a lot about just practical programming, no pun intended, because there is a book called that, um, practical programming and strength training. Like we really just dive into the fundamentals. We dive into his story. We dive into power building. We dive into periodization for the average individual and whether or not that's necessary. And if so, how to do that. We talk about high rep sets. We talk about the, the kind of like the hierarchy inside of training, what we personally have done and continue to do. Um, we talk about a lot. There is a lot of good information here, all backed by science and evidence as always. But the cool thing about this is it's very, very practical and applicable because this is two real world coaches talking about strength training. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. If you do, please do me two huge favors. First one, head over to iTunes, leave us five star rating and review. If you don't listen to this on an iPhone, that's okay. You can head over to Google and just search the podcast and pull up iTunes and leave us a five star rating and review. If you are able to, we would appreciate it. And the second thing you can do for us is drop a screenshot of this on your story and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and Kyle at Hunt Fitness on Instagram so we can thank you for listening and we can share it on our story as well. Without any further ado, let's get on to my interview with Kyle Hunt. I think that as you grow in the industry, you meet more and more people who almost like, like I saw this thing, for example, where people almost became trainers so that they could be business coaches. Like it yeah. was weird. And, it- and like this is flooded market that drives me crazy because I'm like, why? What are you doing? So to me, I'm I'm like such a purist at heart of like strength training, dieting, nutrition, bodybuilding, strength. Mm-hmm. Um, that I love connecting with people because even like uh, Mike Matthews, I mean, yep. he's on a completely another level with his business success and what he's doing. When you talk to him on and off air, because I've done a podcast for him and mm-hmm. he's been on my podcast as well. Um, he's just he's a, he's a real train. Like he really just loves fitness and nutrition. You know what I mean? Which is really yeah, cool. And it's, it's like a buzzword, but like being real, but dude, you shouldn't even have to say it, but part of it with social media, there's so much people within the fitness industry too, that it's like, damn, you recognize the realness of people who are, who are just in it to, because they love this. They're, they're doing this because this is what they, they really have no other option than to be in the fitness industry. And when I started, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it, but when I started, like, dude, there was no, there wasn't any like idea in my head that, oh, this was going to turn into something crazy. And this was my avenue for, to be getting rich and, and all this shit. It was, I love fitness. Mm-hmm. Let me help people. Let me do, let me, let me see how this works. Let me just see how, where this goes. And now it's like, People have seen the path, which mind you, when you have a path, when you see people doing something that you want to do and there's a blueprint for it, you can just be like, okay, well, cool. I want to follow that person. I want to take that trajectory and look, there's a, there's a blueprint for success here. That's good. When I started, there wasn't a a blueprint online, but in a way that was good for me because I could just focus on what I wanted to do. I didn't look at it as like, okay, well, I'm going to do this for six months. And then after six months, I'll get some clients. And then after that, well, shit, I'll just start doing business coaching then. And I'll just start teaching people how to be online coaches. Although I've never actually been an online coach other than six months. I've never actually built an online business, but I mean, I think I could coach other people doing it. Yeah. The same thing happens in fitness though, not to cut you off, but the same thing happens where, where people will be like, they'll have a good transformation, which is unbelievable. Like awesome. Yeah. If you can do that yourself and lose a bunch of weight or build muscle, whatever, that's awesome transformation but they'll, they'll go through their own personal transformation and then immediately they start acting like they're an expert coach. Yeah. It's, 
I almost, I, I would, there was a point where I was like, is this, am I supposed to become a business? Is like, is this the evolution? Like I'm supposed to just become a business coach, but at the core of me, that's not what I ever wanted, you know, like in, in granted, I have helped people, like people have hired me to consult yep. and help them with some stuff. But, uh, I've always just been like, no, I want a team of, like I always say, I want the justice league of, of online coaches and I want to take yeah, yeah. over like, but it's, mm-hmm. it's so centered in training and nutrition. You know what I mean? And I think that's, it's funny because I got so I did like uh, every Monday, usually Mondays, if I must mm-hmm. forget. I post on my story like Q and A, ask me questions, and somebody was like, "What were the influencers that like uh, inspired you or motivated you or something like that at the beginning?" And I was like, "There were no influencers. It was strength coaches and bloggers." And here mm-hmm. they are, and I named off like Nate Green, John Brardy, uh, Jason uh, Frugia, yep. um, Christian Thibodeau, like just a bunch of like people, Eric Helms. Um, yeah. Even Matt Ogus, like I remember Matt Ogus not oh, yeah. having a blog or anything, but being like, whoa, this guy's like a normal dude, but he's jacked and he's natural. Yep. That gives yep. me some inspiration. So, um, but it's funny, man. And before I rant anymore, because I could probably talk shop on this forever, I'm already recording because we started saying some really good things. So I clicked yeah, record. You might but, as well start early. Uh, exactly. So uh, fill us in with your story, man. I think it's going to be pretty similar to, to mine because, uh, and as the listeners know, like I jumped into this for the same reason. I was like, I just want to get jacked. And eventually help people do the same you know and it just was like a snowball text I'm, I'm interested to hear your story and how you got into this in the first place yeah yeah so I uh I started with I was just a tiny ass kid like my entire life I was always like the shortest kid the smallest kid but I always played sports Russell played football all just played a bunch of different sports my entire life and then in I grew up in New York and in New York when you're in middle school you can pretty, essentially just take like a physical fitness test to to try out for a varsity team, JV or varsity team. So I was really good at wrestling and the coach was like, Hey, you know, you really good. We have an opening. If you want to try to jump up to varsity, I was in eighth grade in middle school still, you, you can do that. So I did pass the physical fitness test and everything went up to the varsity team. And the issue was, is I was in the lightest weight class, but I was actually below the lightest weight class. So the lightest weight class was 96 pounds, some tiny, tiny ass kid. And I only weighed like 85 pounds. So I was, I mean, I was like 12 pounds under the weight class, but still doing pretty good. So then after the season, the coach was like, Hey, you need to get into the weight room. And I've never really lifted weights before. I was like, okay, well, let me jump in. Let me, let me see what this is all about. And I remember from the first day, walked in, bench pressed the first day and was like, Oh, this shit's for me. Like, I love it. And this was like 13 years old. And pretty much fell in love instantly with training. Do you think this is kind of a weird question? Do you think that there's certain like uh, I don't know if physique is the right word, but like just built because you look like a wrestler. Like, do you yeah. think they're oh, just okay. built for wrestling, or do you think it's because you're grappling and training like that at such a young age? Because I I even know this guy that comes to my mind who I went to high school with that was a little bit younger than me, hasn't wrestled or played sports probably in five to ten years now, and mm-hmm. drinks like a madman but he's yeah. just like forever jacked because he started yeah. wrestling when he was like six and he was always jacked through high school. And then once he went to college and party, he kind of stopped wrestling. But do you think that's uh, a, like a genetic thing kind of gifted that way and built for it? I think it's both. I think it's a little bit of genetics, but then a little bit of, Hey, when you start early, cause I started when I was six years old too. And you just don't realize all the little, it's essentially training. I mean, like grip strength, like grip for me is cause I compete in powerlifting now. And like a lot of powerlifters have issues with grip on deadlift. And like that is just has never even been any type of concern for me just because it was like wrestling so six years old is just like 20 years of grip training essentially. And then of course your neck too is constantly getting mm-hmm. yanked down. I remember the, so when I was six years old, the first time I ever wrestled, first practice ever went and, and I loved it. And then I woke up the next morning and like my whole neck was sore. I remember went and told my mom, I'm like, mom, I, I have to go to the hospital. She's like, why? Why? I know what's wrong. I go, I can't move my neck. Like my neck is so sore. Like I think I broke my neck. And she's like, "Oh no, I think that's just muscle soreness." I was like, "Oh, okay." So just think, extrapolate that over your entire career of your just neck getting trained, and then of course grip, and then pulling. A lot of pulling. A lot of actually arm work, which is surprising because most sports you don't do a ton of arm work, but with wrestling, it's a lot of pulling and stuff. But then also, I mean, it's it's almost like when you look at training sports too like strength sports bodybuilding powerlifting the people who are good at it tend to have the body type for it so the genetic component and that's why you gravitate towards it because you're good at it i think that happens with wrestling too although you do see a 
there are some outliers with wrestling. You'll see some kids that just, you're like, man, they don't look like they'd be good, like taller, lankier, but they have really good leverages. Mm. So I don't know. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. I think, I think it's one of those things too, where like genetics can definitely open the door, but I mean, hard work is the only thing that's going to, I mean, they even talk about like, I've heard uh, like pro bodybuilders say like, I'm I'm ungifted genetically or I have bad genetics. And I'm looking at them like, dude, what the fuck? Like you're jacked. Uh I don't think that's true, but Mm -hmm. compared to maybe some of the other guys or whatever, but, um, it's the hard work, you know? And, and I think too, like with, at that age, you're like so malleable, your nervous system. So malleable. that's why the Russians were putting kids in strength camps at like 13 years old and just building these machines by the time they're Olympians. I, I I know that eventually there was some drugs involved. (laughs) Of course. Um, if you look at the history of steroids, it's actually pretty interesting, but, um, in the Olympic sport, but yeah, I think, I think being that young, it probably translated a lot to your strength training today, right? Like it, do you feel like you're stronger today because you started so early? Absolutely. I mean, going back to my story, when I first walked into the weight room for the first time, I mean, I was 85 pounds, but I was already just pretty strong, just naturally from, from wrestling and playing sports. So I was a pretty easy transition into weightlifting just because I could already easily like just transition to the movements like squatting, deadlifting, bench pressing, curls. Although I haven't been doing those, I was generally conditioned enough to respond pretty well to them. Yeah. I think people forget that exercising is actually a skill. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So like, and people are like, wow, I started benching two, two to three times a week and my bench went up. No shit. Like it is actually a skill that you have to get good at. Um, so, so I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, uh, simplistic programming, I guess you could say. I I think that there's with the social media boom that has happened in the last, I mean, we'll say decade, but like Mm -hmm. relatively more so in the last five years, I would say, um, creativity with programming has become like higher and higher. And I even like can think of people that I've been friends with. And sometimes I see their stuff on Instagram. I'm like, dude, stop. Like you don't need to put a band around that. You don't need to be balancing one leg. Like it's just outlandish but there's also people like john meadows who is absolutely using bands and absolutely using Mm -hmm. i love the mountain dog method so Mm -hmm. um, i'm curious on on like what is your style of programming how how simple do you like to keep it do you like to change it up and keep it complex to make it fun like kind of give us the rundown yeah yeah well one of the issues i think we run into with with programming in today's age with social media is i feel like with influencers it's essentially we try to get noticed in a way and with our programming we want to do like unique stuff it's just easier to to get people to to like comment on something that's new and novel rather than just oh here's another bench press here's another squat here's another deadlift or whatever but man i just like to keep it keep it simple for most people because the main principles of training will always stay the same and i like to talk about on my podcast a lot is the difference between principles and methods. And a lot of people with fitness get caught up in methods, whether it's diets or training. Methods being like, like for diets, it's easy to explain. So we all know calories in, calories out is super important. And yet there's other things that's super, super important. When people want to lose weight, you got to be in a caloric deficit. But people will, average person will skip that step and just say, oh, well, I'm following a keto diet or I'm following a South Beach diet or Atkins diet, whatever like fad diet they find and they get married to doing that. Like, oh, that was the key to my success or even like intermittent fasting or something like that. It was like, oh, that was my key to success. And it's important to recognize that can, that can work even like with programs. So like 531, when that first came out, like Wendler's 531, that was super, super popular. And people were like, oh, I, I follow 531. And that's the secret to my success. I did that for a year straight. <laughs> and they, the, 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 these methods work, Yeah, but they're not principles. They're just methods, you know, 531 worked because it was simple and it had built-in progressions. It was easy for people to jump into that and then have just a, a very structured way to lift heavier over time. It just had built-in progressive overload. And that, that hit at the right time because Wendler came from a powerlifting background, so he understood the, that programming element, but he presented it in a way that a program that was highly variable to, to pretty much whatever your goal was, whether it was strength or hypertrophy, bodybuilding, and then cross that line from the strength sports to the physique sports or physique people who are interested in aesthetics and 
a lot of people who jumped on it had never followed any type of structured program before. Because when I first started training, probably you too, a lot of our quote programs were just lists of exercises, like what you got from the, the bodybuilding magazines or the bodybuilding books. It was, you know, people, again, people get caught up on, there are bro splits, but bro splits can work, but bro split lists of exercises are limited. Meaning if your training program, quote program is day one chest day, and then it's just exercises listed with sets and reps, but then that's the end of it. That's the extent of it. It's no, has no built in progressions. You're just left to your own. That can work when you're a beginner because you don't really need any intricate programming to just build in progressions because you're going to get stronger quickly. Almost every single week you'll, you'll see strength gains. So that built in progression doesn't need to be there because you're just walking in the gym and lift heavier. But once you get past the beginner stage into intermediate advanced intermediate, you can't just walk into the gym and say, Oh, I got three sets of 10 today and just lift heavier than I did last time. Like that just most likely is not going to work for very long. So five, three, one came and a lot of people were in that intermediate stage. They jumped on it. And then there's like, Oh, I'm making amazing progress. Was like, oh yeah, it has built in progressions. So that's why that was great. So I like to focus on the, the main principles of, of training. So for one, specificity is always going to be key. Whether your goals, building muscle or gaining strength, specificity is key. And with, in terms of exercise selection, we know that the, the big exercises offer more bang for our buck. So whether we're, our goal is strength or muscle building, we should have those main big exercises in place. So like we're talking squats, deadlifts, pressing, horizontal rows, a vertical pull down. All those exercises are, are the main ones. But when our goal is strength, we want to make sure that we're training what we want to get stronger on. So if your goal is to in, improve your bench press, well, then you have to bench press. But if your goal is just to get a bigger chest, well, then we have more exercises available to us. But again, what's most important is building in progressions. I love that, man. I think it's so funny because I've said this quote so many times on my podcast. People are probably annoyed mm-hmm. by it now. Um, methods are many. Principles are few. Methods yep. often change. Principles never do. And yep. I think it's cool that you said that because like 531 is a great method to adhere to the principles. Yes. Right. And it's, and it's the same thing with like, people are like, what's the best training split or training frequency? And it's like, well, that's just a tool to organize your volume and intensity. So yeah. before that, you got to have specificity. You have to have volume. You have to have all these other things that matter. And then your frequency is going to dictate, which now I'm not a huge fan of bro splits. And I don't think mm-hmm. you are either because yeah. there's, it's not the most optimal way to set up your frequency, but exactly. Like said, yep. It can work. It, it, it can, can work. work. Yeah. There's well, plenty of jack and, guys that do that. Yeah. And the reason I, I wanted to bring that up is because I think, people would look at a bro split and they would say, oh, that's, that's just a, a bad way to set up your training, which I would agree. But a lot of bro splits got categorized as bro splits because they had no built-in progressions. It was just a list of exercises. Whereas when people started to do more educated training, more the evidence-based style of training, it was higher frequency with built-in progressions and therefore had more effective training volume. So the principles versus the methods, the methods were just a bro split. Like if, if we were able to implement a, the, the principles into a bro split, they can, that can work. It just doesn't lend itself well for that. I love that, man. I a hundred percent agree. Give us the, um, it doesn't have to be 10, but like, yeah. uh, I was gonna say top 10 fundamentals list, but just like yeah. basically like, let's go through the rundown of, of when you're programming or if you're assessing somebody's program, like, what are you looking mm-hmm. for? Yeah, yeah. So the big one we touched on is just a, a way to have progression into the program. So whether that is using like percentages or using an RPE scale or something, just a, a way to build progression. And really when I talk about progression, we're talking about beating the logbook. That, that's as simple as it, it goes. Just you want to be able to beat your logbook. So whatever you did before, whatever we did day one by day 60, you want to be able to do more than that, more weight, more reps with the same weight. So I think having a built-in system of progression is key. And then of course, when we're talking about programming, we got to talk about volume and intensity and frequency and how to blend that. And again, that's a, that's a main principle topic. So we can talk about volume and we can categorize that many different ways. Probably the easiest way is just number of hard sets. So how many hard sets are we doing per week? And for most people, we're going to fall in that 10 to 20 range. And when you're a beginner, you probably want to start out towards the 10. 
when you get towards more advanced, intermediate to advanced, we're going to probably be looking at 15 to 20. So that's, that's something that we could probably spend some time on just because that's, that's a question that I get quite often is how much training volume should we actually be doing? I think it's a pretty individualized thing because, you know, there's a lot of people who they want an exact number. They want black and white. Like they'll ask me like, how many, mm -hmm. how many sets do you do per muscle group per week? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Don't ask me. Like, you know, I think that cause I know people who are just as advanced as me who can do half mm -hmm. as much volume and grow more, right? Because yep. their body, and they actually are starting to do some studies on this, which is going to be really interesting to see as it, because of course we can't just have one study. You have to have more, mm -hmm. but to see the different responders, because you know, there's these low volume studies that are like, oh, you only need five sets per week. And then there's these high mm -hmm. ones. There's like 35 sets per week, which is mm -hmm. unrealistic for 99% yeah, yeah. of people. But mm -hmm. I think like looking at it from a standpoint of individuality, instead of like like Eric Helms said something that I took this quote from him. I loved it. And he said, we're working with individuals, not averages. Yep. So a study is working with averages, you know, on average, 10 to 20 yep. is right. But individuals are so different. So the magic number is really hard, but um, how, how are you going about either answering that question or um, figuring that out for individuals who work with you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, whether we're talking nutrition or training at the end of the day, as a coach, our main goal is just to get the client the result they're looking for. So we don't necessarily need to get married to, oh, I'm a high volume person, then kind of fit everybody into that, that mode. Some people, for, for most people, I like to start them low. Like, we'll see what they've been doing at, you know, when we initially bring them on, hey, what's been successful for you in the past? And sometimes you'll get like a crazy answer. It's like, oh, I've been doing two a days for six days a week. And it's like, oh, well, man, your results aren't really showing that. But, you know, so you got to try to find like where, where they actually were. What's, what's been successful for you in the past? Probably be super conservative with it. See how they respond. And if they respond well on eight to 10 sets per muscle group per week, then, hey, we'll let that play out for as long as we can continue to see progress. You know, we don't need to, I think this is a, one of the issues with the quote evidence-based community, which I'm definitely a part of, is we get so caught up in the evidence. And like what you said, which was Eric's quote, where research is all based off from averages. But when you're working with individuals, a lot of times there's outliers in studies. And sometimes you're working with outliers, you know, someone who, whether it's genetically or lifestyle wise, they just, hey, they can't handle that 10 to 20 sets per week. Or sometimes people can handle more, like there's, there's always going to be outliers, but we don't need to fit people into any, anything that's not going to deliver more results. If we're going to do more work, then we need to have it deliver more results. And that's not always needed. Yeah. I think, I think one thing to point out with studies too, is that like, if you, if you read into like who they uh, got into the study um, and we have a, we have a CSO on our team. So I actually mm -hmm. like talk to him about all this kind of stuff. Cause he does the research yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh, he'd be a great guest for your podcast, man, Brandon mm -hmm. Roberts. Uh, but he, um, we were talking about this one time too, is like, if they recruit, 25 healthy male individuals who are trained like mm -hmm. they're probably in college they're getting paid to be there they probably don't have any real responsibilities i'm working with a 40 year old guy with who runs a business and has two kids and is trying to like fix things with his wife like it's all this crazy <laughs> stuff going yeah. on you know and it's like your responses are going to be totally different you probably would respond better to a low volume training because you have so much more mm -hmm. stress in your life versus nope. this guy so i think that um, and outliers aren't reported typically, yep. at least yep. not unless people are like really They're normally actually discarded. This. Yeah. Outlier, you know what I mean? Yeah. hundred yeah, yeah. percent. And most people don't go through a study with a fine comb. You know, that's why we have people mm -hmm. like my CSO or people from mass research review and stuff like that. Yep. Well, actually, so my senior year of college, the, my last semester, I think it was my whole last year, you could either do an internship or help out with research. And since I was already, already started my company, I was like, I don't really want to have to go to a gym and do training there. I already have my online company started when I was in college. So I chose to help out with the research I was going on at the college I was at. And man, that really opened my eyes, not just necessarily from like a information standpoint, but just recognizing like how studies are done. Because again, we were, we had all college age kids and it was a hydration study. And you forget that it's just, the subjects are just normal college kids like coming in to we had to put them on a treadmill and it we did our best but it's very imperfect you know what i mean like you, you can see in your head you're like 
all right, well, you know, this is a hydration study. We're supposed to be pushing him really hard here. And he's not really going that hard. What are we, you know, we're not, it's, we're not paying him anything. Like we can't like force the, the subject to your sprint. You know, he's jogging when it's supposed to be sprinting, but Hey, in the paper, it's just going to say, Oh, he sprinted. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> just little stuff like that. Yeah. I think there's, there's so much more that goes into a study than people realize that that was pretty mm-hmm. eye opening for me too. When I brought Brandon on the team, just picking his brain about mm-hmm. research and like, mm-hmm just being shocked. I mean, even like, I was like, Hey, how, how much does it cost to fund this? Learning that was wild. It cost a lot of fucking mm-hmm. money. Um, but go, going back to our fundamentalist, man, you, you broke down essentially metric based movements, compounds, yep. you give us progressive mm-hmm. overload, uh, volume needs to be figured out. And that's usually a, sounds like a minimal effective dose, um, to start yep. what's next. Yeah. So the next would be intensity. So when we talk about intensity, really just the load on the bar, percent of your max, how, how heavy you're going. And for strength, strength specific. So if you want to get stronger, we want to work in the lower rep ranges, lower rep ranges, higher intensity, heavier weights. Now, what we found for muscle building, and if you look at the research, is a, a wide range of intensity, therefore wide range of reps, can be very effective for building muscle. So if your only goal is building muscle, Shit, I mean, you can do anything from like six reps to 40 reps. And as long as it's taken close to failure, that can be pretty effective. Now, I think for the most part, you probably want to stick to the, the middle range, but a, a wide range of effective intensity for building muscle. But strength is the complete opposite. Like you pretty much have to go heavy. We're talking five reps or under for strength. And a lot of people like to have a mix of both, which if you come to me, you work with me, it's like, okay, well, if your only goal is strength, then we'll have you on a powerlifting-based program, but that's still going to incorporate some, some, building, some muscle building, some hypertrophy, because building muscle creates a greater potential for, for building strength. And then even if your only goal is aesthetic-based, I'm still going to have you do some strength training too, some heavier weights, because for one, it's fun. Like it, it just is fun to lift heavy. And then two, I think, especially as a natural, it's, it's really hard to see your progress beyond the beginner stage it's very hard to see your progress you know even if you're taking meticulous detail and tracking your daily weights and having doing weekly update pictures and stuff it's hard to see your progress as a natural but it's easy to see your progress in terms of numbers in the gym it's easy to add a rep and say oh i got better you know it's easy to add 10 pounds to the bar oh i got better so that's why i think that there's a benefit in always blending the two it's just you know, if your only goal is one, then obviously you want to focus a little bit more on that. I couldn't agree more. I think I'm working with uh, Eric Treckler with Stronger by Science. He's been taking mm-hmm. over my stuff for a while. Oh, awesome. And we added low rep stuff too, because my, my, my only goal is to get bigger, but yep. I've been training for nine years. So it's like, even though I track everything every day and I'm mm-hmm. sending him progress pictures, doing the updates, it's like, he notices things and it's like thankful that he can notice, but I'm just like, dude, like this yeah. is like snail pace. So we added some low rep stuff. Cause I'm like, I just need to get stronger, man. It's yeah. just fun. And yeah, it's funny fun. to me, you mentioned the rep ranges and for a long time, people were like, this is this power rep range, the strength mm-hmm. rep range, the hypertrophy rep range. And I think this kind of goes back to understanding the principles and not getting tied up into the methods because for a while people were like, well, you can do 40 reps and yep. still make hypertrophy. So there is no hypertrophy rep range. It's complete bullshit. Okay. Well, what do you recommend? eight to 12 rep range for hyper. Yeah. Like, wait, I thought you said it. And they were like, well, yeah, but that's going to be the most productive rep range for hypertrophy. So yeah. I think it's funny that people grab on to like a study and then go too far with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, high reps suck. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And people, I might've just glossed over the, the words, but I said, they're all equal taken close to failure. Yeah. Well, 40 reps set taking close to failure, like that's brutal. <laughs> that, and plus it's, it's hard to, you pretty much have to take it to, to pretty much failure because if you think, if you take it close, it's just the, the higher your reps get close to failure is more reps in reserve. You know what I mean? Like when you're doing a set of six close to failure, yeah, you can recognize that at 40, it's a lot harder to recognize. So you have to get more, higher perceived exertion on that. And then, uh, but it's funny what you said about when you get caught onto like one study and then it's like, Oh, well, I can say like, Oh, we can do that's a 40, but then my recommendation stays the same. Well, you saw the exact opposite thing saying ha- happen with 
uh, Brad Schoenfeld when he came out with that one study, I think it was probably like uh, 2013, 2014, where he compared like a standard bodybuilding approach with a powerlifting approach, but equated total tonnage or volume load and showed similar muscle building results. And you saw one group of people were like, oh, see, you can lift heavy and still build muscle. I think it was like seven sets of three versus three sets of 10, or maybe it was, yeah, I think it was, yeah, seven sets of three versus three sets of 10. And they, they gained a, about the same amount of muscle. But the critical component was the powerlifting approach completely beat people up. Now, they gained more strength, so they did get that benefit, but it completely beat them up, and it took forever. The three sets of 10, people felt like they could do more, and it took like 20 minutes. <laughs> Such a good point to throw out there, man, because I think that like – it, even if we look at that 40 rep range, try to recover after doing a, a set of 40 dumbbell bench press, anything, right? S yep. Squats, something. Try to recover within a few minutes to do your next exercise. Like, yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, and then, then you have to, this is actually probably another principle we could talk about is in terms of exercise selection and then re like equating that to load and, and intensity. Some exercises just don't lend themselves to heavy work and then some exercises don't lend themselves to light work, so higher reps. So, for example, like you're not going to do sets of three to five on a dumbbell side raise. Like you're just that's not going to be a power exercise. But then you're also not going to do sets of thirty or forty on a deadlift either, because that's just not going to work well for you, and that's dangerous. So, the exercises almost lend themselves to what rep range you're going to do anyway. Yeah. 100%. Um, and, I, and I like the idea of blending them together. We're going to talk about periodization mm -hmm. in a sec, so I'm excited to hear how you, how you look at that because I think that mm -hmm. people do get married to it. I am curious real quick though, like um, you mentioned a, a set of 40, brutal. Even a set of 20 is horrible. Yeah, a set of 20 is brutal. I remember doing like, uh, I remember doing German volume training. I was only 10s, mm -hmm. but 10 sets of 10 on squats is just- Oh, that, that's brutal. Horrible. Yeah. Um, that program didn't last long, but- uh, with with sets of 20 like how often are you do you think it's applicable because I th again i think if we look at somebody who's purely a researcher they will say like oh it's like useless it doesn't matter just volume mm -hmm. but in experience like there are some times where i think it can be applicable and i'm just curious your thoughts of when you put those in yeah well i think when you look at your, your training there's always there's always a benefit of doing something a little outside the norm. So if you never go heavy, meaning like you never do anything under six reps, then there is a benefit to getting stronger and seeing what your one rep max is. Occasionally, if, if your goal is not strength, then it's not something we'll always have in, but occasionally it's good. I think it also works on the other end, especially with, with powerlifters who get so caught up in just hey, we're powerlifting, so everything's heavy. A set of six is considered high rep for us. So it's like, okay, well, if everything's heavy and low rep, occasionally it's good to test the other end of it. See, see how you feel after a set of 20 and just kind of test the, the waters a little bit. I think it, it does two things, throwing in high reps, like extremely high reps, like up to 20, we'll say. One, it's a completely different adaptation. So you probably have no idea what good weight is and what i mean by that is we all go into the gym and we have like especially in america we have like the, the standard weights we put on the bar so it's like 135 185 225 275 350 you know the, the big weights the, the quarters and the 45s and you pretty much know in your head where you're going to be so if you're doing a bench and regardless of the percentages let's say whatever you're going to do three sets of five like everyone listening when i say three sets of five on bench a weight comes in your head. You're like, okay, I would use X my weight. If I say three sets of 20, you're like, oh, hold on. Like, what? What am I, what am I doing for three sets of 20? Like, I have no idea what my weight is. So that's, that's good because you'll have a more accurate representation of, of where you need to be. You're going to have to test the waters a little bit. And chances are, hey, you might not even get a good weight. Like it might be a little too heavy, a little too light, whatever. And, and that's fine because we can, we can work with that. But at least it's breaking the, just the status quo of getting caught up on only using a certain amount of weight for a certain amount of reps. I think doing those, going to failure and doing some max lifts yeah. helps people understand how to utilize reps in reserve or RPE yep. so much better. Absolutely. There was even that one study where they said put 10, your 10 rep max on the bar. Mm -hmm. And I think the average was 16, but like the highest yeah. was 26. And it's like, what? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we're probably, and I know like, 
I remember having a buddy that I always trained in the high rep range. He always trained in the low rep range and I would try to do his work. Mm -hmm. I couldn't hang with him during his workouts. And then we would just go to like eight to 10 reps on a barbell bench and I would just crush him. And I never understood why, like you're so much stronger than me, quote unquote, yet I can do this. And it's, it's just the principle of adaptation, you know? You yeah, and, and specificity you too. So yeah. a lot of times when people are, are talking about specificity, they're talking about specificity to exercises. So like, oh, we want to get better at benching, well, we have to bench. Well, it also works in terms of, of rep ranges too. So if you're like only doing like that's why a lot of times, so when you build muscle, it's a greater potential for strength, but you have to actually realize the strength. Like if you only work in higher reps, like quote bodybuilding reps, if you're your whole training is built around eight to 12 reps and then you go max out. Well, you're not really, you're not realizing your true potential for strength because you haven't been training with low reps. You're probably as strong as you could ever be in the eight to 12. Cause that's what you've been doing. You know, you're, you're conditioned for that, but you're not conditioned for singles or doubles on the same thing. Like you're not conditioned for, for 20 reps either. So you'll have to, you have to like actually train that to realize your true potential at that rep range. Yeah. And that's a perfect word because that's why in block periodization, there's a realization phase. Yeah. Um, uh Okay. So uh, you kind of touched on exercise selection, but you're still going down the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Do you like, and and if there's a point where you're like, I have no more fundamentals, like you Mm -hmm. cut me off, but um, is there more on your list of of the big principles that people need to be aware of? Yeah. Well, so we've we've talked about a lot of stuff here. I think just kind of to wrap it up, big picture is again, when we're talking principles and methods, there's really unlimited, there's really unlimited amount of, of methods. Like there'll always be a new program. There'll be a new program next week and it might be good, might be bad. You can compare all of these and really it doesn't matter. It's, it's how they manipulate the principles for your goal. Cause really, I mean, there's, there's an unlimited amount of methods, but there's a very limited amount of principles. Like there's only so much stuff we can, we can manipulate with, with training. And then, the, the programs really just manipulate them in slightly different ways. But at the end of the day, I mean, you have exercise selection, volume, intensity, frequency, and specificity in terms of kind of what you want to get better at. I love that, man. I think that's my list too. And, and I think yeah. like people always ask about, you know, uh, what about like negatives and what about rest? Yeah. And I think that those are tools that can help you do what you need to do inside yep. those principles. And I think that's where it, it's so much easier more easy to explain inside of nutrition because you can just say, yep. well, the, the principle is a calorie deficit and all yep. these other things uh-huh. you're talking about are just methods in order for you to adhere to that. Um, yep. But I think people get confused in training because I mean, not only are there so many different terms in different rep ranges mm-hmm. and exercises, but there's also bodybuilding, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, CrossFit, which is basically just yep. taking a bunch of shit and throwing it at the wall. Yep. Um, and I've worked with a lot of CrossFitters on their nutrition stuff. And yep. I'm, f- I watch the games. I'm, f- super uh-huh. fascinated with what they can do. But if we look at it as a modality, I remember when it first came out, I was like, this, this is so weird. It doesn't make any sense. You're taking the goals of all these different things and trying to put them together that you can't do that. But specificity, that's what they're trying to be specifically good yeah. at. Is yeah, they're, they're trying to be specificity to them is in a way non-specific because there's so much stuff. Yeah. But dude, I remember when I first, first while I was in college, I think it was probably 2012 when I first saw it on ESPN and dude, I loved watching that. I was like, damn, this is really cool. Like, I don't necessarily want to jump right into this, but it's a cool, like, just like seeing, I don't know. It was just, it was so different because especially when you grew up with, like when I grew up, it was like all bodybuilding or all powerlifting. That was all I really cared about. And then to see this, it was so different. I was like, damn, this is so crazy. And what's interesting about it is I think a lot of people in that CrossFit world initially were like, oh, we came up with something completely different. Like the the training principles don't apply to this. And that's partly on how it was programmed early on. Like even at the elite levels, it was, Hey, this is, this is completely different where we want to get better at at so many different modalities that we can't really take the normal training principles and utilize them for this, like frequency, volume, all the things we talked about, exercise selection. Oh, it doesn't apply just random workouts. And then over time they've come to realize, no, at the end of the day, it's still just training. And if you, if you actually look at how a lot of the elite CrossFitters train now, they use periodization. They use periods of time where, oh, this is a volume block. Oh, this is an intensity block. This, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, now we're, we're actually looking at 
I guess exercise science does still apply to this. Yeah, it's just a lot more variables to try to. Oh, a lot more watch, variables. Yeah, know? it's it's like the MMA of fitness, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's actually a where, really really good <laughs> description of it. Yeah, well, because if you look at like an MMA fighter, someone in the UFC, it's like they have so much just from a skill component to learn outside of you know regardless of the strength and conditioning but so much from a skill component so you got to do your striking your wrestling jujitsu so many stuff it's like how do you how do you fit that together yeah. you know a lot of times you have what your bread and butter is like what you grew up doing but it's kind of the same in, in crossfit too it's like like someone like matt frazier he grew up olympic weightlifting yep. so like he has that strong base that's his bread and butter he probably doesn't have to spend as much time on that now because he, he's pretty much has hey that's that's my bread and butter. I'm going to be great at that. I got to do enough to pretty much maintain. Cause he, I mean, he was like training at the Olympic training center. I think yeah. I mean, a super high level Olympic weightlifter. He had to bring up the other stuff, but you see it in MMA too. And really it, it applies to the same idea applies to just your everyday person too. It's like, what are you good at in the gym? That's your bread and butter, you know? And, and again, we don't want to forget about it. It's not like Matt Frazier. Like, well, I grew up Olympic lifting, I know Olympic lifting's big in CrossFit, but I don't need to do that now because I'm so good at it. No, you still got to do it. You know, you still have to do it. It's like a CrossFitter who grew up, you know, I don't know, playing a sport and like, oh, well, my conditioning's really good. I don't have to, I don't have to do that. I just got to get strong. It's like, well, how, we all know that's not going to work. Like you lose it, you know, yeah. you'll lose whatever you're good at. Your average person comes in, hey, maybe their goal is, is fat loss and they're already really strong. It's like, okay, well, look, I know you love that. So we're going to give you a little bit of that. We're definitely going to give you some strength stuff because that's what you enjoy. Obviously you've gotten strong, but that can't be our main priority because fat losses. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it's actually a good transition into uh, the power building talk. Cause I think that, yep. you know, I, CrossFit is the extreme uh, description of concurrent training right but i think nope. i think a lot of people get concurrent wrong they as soon as you say concurrent they're like oh, are you deadlifting and running marathons like mm -hmm. no it's, it can be many i mean uh west side conjugate method was concurrent yep. you know power and yep. strength like it's yep. two different things um and i'm really big on that and i think that's why i like power building laws because it's not just focusing on one thing but i believe in a natural lifter it actually can help progress them over time a lot better because like mm -hmm. you said if, if you stop doing one thing you might lose you might not lose all of it but you're always playing catch up when you get back to it so why not just steadily move along with it and you did a podcast on this that i really enjoyed so i'd love to get your um thoughts on like i mean essentially like obviously what is power building um yeah. and, and how are you using it and who are you using it with yeah so powerlifting is really just as it sounds so it's a mix of power lifting and bodybuilding so gaining strength and building muscle and if you look at the history of, of strength training a lot of the old bodybuilders did a lot of heavy work, a lot of, a lot of heavy basics on squats, bench, and deadlifts. And you look at their early programs, you'd probably say, oh, that looks like what a modern day person would call. That's like a power building program. But then somewhere along the line, lifters got away from it. And they started probably just, hey, being more specific, like the stuff we've already talked about. It's like, hey, well, if my goal is building muscle, why don't I just do 100% muscle building stuff? So then you saw like when I first got into lifting, I was reading the bodybuilding magazines. And do you remember like the style of training that was in those magazines? Like in the early 2000s, it was like all like assistance exercises, yeah. pretty much everything, three sets of 12 or whatever, which again, when we're accumulating volume, that can work for building muscle. But to me, because I can directly relate to how I felt reading it to me, I was like, okay, well, strength isn't that important strength isn't that important but really yeah. the information that was that was coming from enhanced lifters people who are on steroids where at that point for two things that are important for that one that was the program that they were currently doing they've already built a ton of muscle they're yeah. already at like the ifbb pro level and they're on a bunch of steroids so how does that apply to a young kid who hasn't built any muscle and is natural as can be yeah it, it doesn't apply like doesn't. the because you know, you, you, for one, it didn't focus on the, the big exercises. And then it also didn't focus on progressing the big exercises. So you almost just skipped over all the fundamentals and went right to this training style that they were doing at the, the pro level, but didn't really apply to beginners and definitely didn't apply to 
a young kid who's looking to maximize his gain. So I think power building offers a great way for, for people to make progress because it emphasizes getting stronger, obviously it's in the name, and then it emphasizes progressing your lifts. And like we already talked about, as a natural, once you get past the first couple of years, it's, it's really hard to, to see your progression month to month, especially week to week. Like it's almost non-existent, but you can, you can get stronger and you can see your lifts improve. And it provides a way to analyze your training in, in concrete numbers. You know, you're not, you're not going by, oh, did, let, me, let me see my update pictures. Did I, does it look like I gained a little bit of muscle? I don't know. Like maybe, <laughs> you know, it's, did I get stronger? Yeah, I got stronger. Look, last week I did, or last month I did 300 for three. This week I did 300 for five. Or this week I did 310 for three. Yeah, and I think, that, I mean, that even applies. What did you do for a seated cable row for eight? right? A dumbbell bench yeah. press for eight. Like, are you progressing on the, like progression is progression. Yep. Um, and I think that, you know, after the golden era machines uh, came out and I think that uh, mm-hmm. there was some, some early research on time under tension that everybody thought was like yep. gold. Yep. I think when those two things happened, people kind of started steering away from barbells and started steering away from things, mm-hmm. which is actually one thing I would give CrossFit credit to. I feel like they yep. brought a lot of that back. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think CrossFit, one of the best things they did was just to make to your average person barbell training more accessible, you know, like, because if you think about it, most people, another reason why machines blew up from, if you look at it from a gym business model is machines are great because it's easy for people to learn. Like they don't really need to know how to do them and they're safe. Like you just come in and you can hire trainers to send people through a, a Nautilus circuit and they don't have to be very educated. <laughs> you know, you don't have to pay them anything, really. It's yeah. like anybody can take someone through a Nautilus circuit, but can anybody teach someone correct form on a back squat, deadlift, things like that? Well, that's you need to be educated in that. Yeah, I, I literally remember trainers taking people from just from one machine. Oh, class. I remember that. Yeah, and they I had them when set I, up so you didn't have to even think. It was just like yeah, just it was like right in a row. <laughs> it was right in a row. I trained at a, a YMCA when I was in high school, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it's funny because I remember it was just like right down the center of the gym, just a Nautilus circuit. And the trainers, yep. you'd come in, they had your sheet, and you just went from like one or like started out with leg extension, leg curl, leg press, and just like right down until you're doing abs at the end. Yeah, it's <laughs> hilarious. So, so who, uh, who is power building for? Like who should be yeah. using these programs? Yeah, well, I think, I think power building works well for a lot of people. I mean, really the only people who I would steer away from it would be someone who is competing in, in one of the two sports, so bodybuilding or powerlifting. And in that sense, you, hey, you got to be a little bit more specific. But even then, it's only really in a contest prep or a meet prep. I mean, even in off-season, as, as an off-season powerlifter, a power-building approach works really well because it incorporates, you can set it up to incorporate enough powerlifting-specific stuff, so enough heavy stuff to maintain or even still improve your lifts, but then also some muscle-building, enough volume to get bigger and give you more potential for, for strength. And then from a, a bodybuilding standpoint is, I mean, you can set up a power building routine that's pretty much a bodybuilding routine with just a little bit of strength work, an, enough strength work to one, mentally stay attached to your training, give you a goal to work towards, to build in those progressions and numbers to shoot for, kind of like to chase numbers. And you can set it up in a way where it's not a ton of volume on the, the heavy movements, the strength stuff. So it's not going to really affect how much volume you can accumulate in the bodybuilding, bodybuilding style work. So it works really well for almost, really almost anybody who's in the gym. I love that. I, I would, I mean, I 100% agree. I think it's a, it's almost like a good advanced style of programming for the average person you know what i mean like i think it's it gives them the science enough to not be too crazy well i like how you said that because it it is more of an intermediate to advanced style training and the reason that is is because as a beginner you pretty much gain strength and muscle no matter what linearly yeah so you don't i mean when you're a beginner the the word power building doesn't really apply because anything you're going to do is going to be power building like you're going to gain strength and you're going to build muscle so you don't really have to set up your training to build both of them because it's just almost anything you're going to do is going to do both of them anyway. So any, any training is power building. Yeah. No shit. I think, uh, I think it's funny, man. Like, uh, like going through this whole conversation, there were so many things that I can remember that are similar to you. Like even the magazine stuff, like every program mm-hmm. I did at first was just out of magazines and it worked yep. really fucking well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the only thing I was doing, you know, like even yep. before that I did like, uh, 
fucking when I first got it. So I didn't lift when I was younger, like you did. So yeah. I got into lifting after high school. I went to a boot camp. I was like, high intensity shit is what you got to do. Like, yeah. uh-huh. or, you know, doing cone drills and ball slams and all this shit that they had me doing. And it worked. <laughs> I lost yeah, weight, yeah. built some muscle. And then that stopped working. So I went to the bodybuilding that worked for a while until it stopped working. And I think um, you touched on that point as well is, is just changing things every now and then, you know, I think that there's a good balance between uh, too much variation and not enough. You know, there's some people who, oh don't change things enough. And it's like, one, you're going to get bored Two, you need that novelty stimulus. And then some people are changing things every week. And it's like, how can you even accomplish progressive overload? You're changing it so often. Yeah. You got to stay with an exercise long enough to improve on it. You know, cause you have to, you have to have a way to measure improvement. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with, if you're constantly changing your exercises, constantly looking for quote muscle confusion. Okay. I feel like you're just chasing soreness at that point. Like you, you don't, have it's very hard to progressively overload when you're constantly changing stuff you don't have anything in place to 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 track changes in but then you also don't want to do the same thing over and over again because eventually you're just really limiting yourself because you can actually take advantage and use variation as a training variable so we're going to change exercises and and that's partly how we were talking about earlier like hey when should we throw in super high rep stuff well we throw in super high rep occasionally just because just for the novelty of it being different, you yeah. know, there's yeah. a benefit to that. Do you have like, I know it's ever black, whites, maybe a range. Do you have like a, I guess a schedule almost like how, how often do you like to switch up exercise? I, I have kind of like two answers on my own. So I'm just curious yeah. to see how you do it. Yeah. Well, from an organizational standpoint, I like to look at training blocks and just a standard four week system, but that doesn't mean we're necessarily changing everything every four weeks. I like to look at a four week training cycle. And then from there, depending on what the goals are, we analyze the progress. And then sometimes like, for example, let's say we're at an accumulation block where we're just doing like a lot of volume, a lot of like bodybuilding style stuff. We might run that for a couple blocks and we might keep most of the exercises the same for eight weeks, 12 weeks. And then once we finish with that, then we'll, okay, we'll wrap this up and then we'll start a new training block. And at that point, we can change out exercises and change the actual overall stimulus of the training and the goals of the training. I think four is like the average standard for yep. me too. Do you think that it's kind of one of those things where, I mean, obviously this can only go so far because of boredom, but if you're progressing, why change it? Well, that's the thing. I, it's funny. I've had conversations with people before where, you know, just going through, asking them questions. Hey, how's your training going? What's it look like? What have you been doing? How long have you been doing it? And they'll be like, oh, they'll, everything's going good. This is what I'm doing. I'm progressing well, getting stronger. I feel like my physique's improving, but I want to do something different. It's like, okay, well, I don't know. If everything's going well, why don't we try just doing what you've been doing for another month or two? (laughs) You know, let's like milk the progress while we can before just changing for the sake of of change. Even even with a powerlifting style program, I think sometimes people are, are afraid of missing out like they see on social media, oh, so-and-so is doing this, yeah. you know, this cool assistance exercise. Well, they're doing like a, a close grip feet up bench press and they have a big bench press. So maybe I should be doing that. And it's like, well, your bench is progressing on what we've been doing. So maybe we should just do that. And then, hey, maybe down the line, if we get into a rut or we're not seeing our lifts improve or we're not seeing the type of progressions we're looking for, hey, then we can play around with, with variation, use that as a tool or look for a different training tool to, to implement. But when you're progressing, man, it's part of it is, you know, part of training past the beginner stage, like it's just, you got to move in one direction for a long time to see progress. I mean, the same thing happens with, with diet too. It's, you know, you start a diet and then everything's going well, you're making, making good progress. And then you hit like a little snag and people want to change everything. It's like, Oh, you know, got to absolutely change. Sometimes it's just a small little adjustment will be enough to get over the hump. Sometimes no adjustment. Sometimes it's like, hey, little fluctuations happen. Let's just stay the course, stay consistent. Yeah. Let's continue moving in that one direction for a little bit longer. And then, you know, we'll, we'll eventually get there. And I think that comes with experience. People will ask me, like, how do you know when to adjust somebody's diet? And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. sometimes I can't even explain it with science. I'm yeah. like, I just know we shouldn't change it yet. I know you haven't yeah. made any progress in the last few weeks, but just trust me. And then all of a sudden yeah. it works. And it's like, yeah, it yep. it's experience. I even had a conversation with a client this morning because um, he was saying he feels like he needs, he needs to advance something or tweak something kind of like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and he's in Europe. So I was like, man, you've been losing half to a full kilogram every single week for the last like eight weeks and we haven't touched anything. So 
think you're just getting antsy, man. Part of this is just, it's a slow grind and like, yeah, it is. you just got to be patient. That's just part yeah. of it, especially as a natural. Yeah. As a natural, it's, it's, it's tough, but when you, when you've done this for a long time, you recognize that the it's, it's cliche to say, but man, it's just all about the, the process, you know, just respecting the process and then being committed to the process and then just being consistent over the long time. I love talking about consistency because really if we can just focus on a few things and be super consistent with them, like we'll always be there. We'll always show up. Like we're, we're never going to get too far off of, off track yeah. if we do the fundamentals and do them very, very well and are consistent with them. If you can do that in training, I think it, it teaches you so much about life. Like yeah. if you can apply that to other areas of life, it's, it's just so helpful. Um, I think it, it, so for me with the, with the time scale, I like float in this like three to eight week range. And mm -hmm. so like for a newer client, it's like compounds eight weeks. Let's slowly progress every mm -hmm. four weeks, changing out accessories for an advanced lifter every six weeks for compounds, every three weeks for accessory, because you know, when somebody walks in the gym, if they've been training a long time and I say, Hey, you have a dumbbell reverse lunge for eight reps, they're going to be pretty damn accurate on what they need. Yep to pick up, you know, but the everyday individual first week is like a learning curve. It's like, well, shit, I haven't lunged for a while for eight. Mm -hmm. I've never done like, let me figure this out. Um, so it, after three weeks, I feel like their progress is actually going pretty well on lunges and they're probably bored of lunges, reverse lunges by the end of it. So like, let's make it a Bulgarian split squat, like just yeah. a small tweak. You know what I mean? But I think, um, in, in some people I'll tell them like, Hey, like I actually haven't changed your unilateral quad dominant movement in like 20 weeks. But yeah. we went from a reverse lunge to a static lunge to a Bulgarian split squat to a step up to a walk. Like, we're still really doing the same principles yep. again. Mm -hmm. We're just kind of tweaking these little methods to keep you engaged. And, and like when you see that new program, you're like, oh, shit, this is new. But it's, it's almost like tricking people into doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like a, a perfect example is like a horizontal row. It's like we want that in. We always want that in. But if you, if it, you always just put a dumbbell row. Like eventually someone's just going to get sick of doing dumbbell rows and then they're going to skip the dumbbell row probably. So it's like, okay, we can do a dumbbell row then we can do a chest supported row then we can do an incline prone dumbbell row, then a barbell row, then a seal row, and then a cable row. And then it's just like, and that could be a whole year's worth of, of rowing. And it doesn't really matter how you, you program it in as long as you're always rowing. Yeah, dude, this has been great. I want to, I want to ask you one final question before I let you uh, kind of give us a fill us in on your book and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's periodization. Like it's something we, we've thrown out there a couple of times. Um, and we, we've, we've talked about doing like, I mean, basically five to 15 rep range, let's say mm -hmm. um, every week and just kind of changing things up. But you've also talked about, you know, we're in an accumulation block and you've talked about mm -hmm. realization. So mm -hmm. with the everyday person, the gym pop, do you typically like to go into a, like a typical block approach where this is a high volume phase, this next one is an intense phase, or do you like to kind of, just blend them all in and your periodization is just making sure people progress week to week. Yeah. 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 Well, with periodization, really we have to understand like periodization is just a way to plan your training. And for beginners, beginners don't really need much periodization. So if, when I have someone who's just starting with me, it's like, and maybe they just started lifting their relative beginner. It's like, for the most part, we're not going to need to do any special blocks or anything like that. It's just, Hey, here's what we're we're doing let's just get you to progress on those movements but then once you get to an intermediate stage and just from an organizational standpoint i like to use a, a couple different periodizations one you can just do a basic linear periodization that works very very well and use it in like a block structure just because it's, it's pretty easy to understand is hey we'll start out with with higher volume so a little bit higher reps in the first block is like an accumulation block we'll accumulate volume and then we'll transition a little bit more intensity into it where it's heavier weights, lower reps, and then kind of just cycle that. I and mean, that works for, for a lot of people. A lot of intermediates can just do really, really well off from start with higher volume and then work towards lower volume, higher intensity. And then when we talk about like power building, I like to use daily undulating periodization too. And it, people can get really confused with it. But really when I say that is what I'm saying is we're going to have different rep ranges throughout the week. So we might be in a higher volume block, but that might be, it might not be just like 10 reps every single day. It might be, okay, well, day one, we're going to do sets of 10, day one and two, and then day three and four, we're doing sets of six, you know, that might be. And then on those days, on the days with six reps, 
we might do even like a single on that day. And that would be like a, a really good power building setup where we have high rep day, moderate rep day, but on the moderate rep day, we're also doing just one single. And then you can progress it almost unlimited from there. Yeah. I, I love the DUP model is, is something yep. I use quite a bit. I think it's really, it works really well for the everyday person who wants to lift heavy, wants to look yep. better. Um, but I think the problem with, again, going back to the same exact thing, theme we keep circling around to people grab onto something too hard and they're like, Oh, so you bench squat and deadlift three times a week at different intensities. And it's like, yeah. no, that's, <laughs> that's just how they did the study. <laughs> like that's how the studies have been done. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike Zordos is the one who invented it. He comes out all the time. Mm -hmm. You can DUP your curls. It just yep. one day do eights, one day do 15s. You're basically doing that. Yep. Yep. And, and I mean, you could even undulate, do like weekly undulation too, where it's like, okay, well maybe you're not doing a super high frequency program that lends itself to do and daily undulating periodization throughout the week. Well, you can do 10, six and then back up to eight. And that's like a weekly undulation. Like there's unlimited amount of, of ways to set it up. Yeah. hundred percent. I, uh, I've used weekly undulated periodization with even like, uh, like, keeping hypertrophy around because that's our main goal every week. And then mm -hmm. every other week we're doing either power or like speed bench. And then the next week is like a low rep heavy bench, you know, and yep. just going back and mm -hmm. forth. Yeah, you can do that um, too. But fill us in on your book before we wrap this up, man. Like uh, you just dropped a new book, which I think is your yep. first like handwritten, not handwritten, but like handheld. You yeah, I wrote actually, it by hand, man. You can, <laughs> <laughs> you can actually grab the thing, which is so cool, man. That's a, that's a huge accomplishment. I mean, so, I so it's actually, it's not the same. Anyway, so it's actually the, my third book, and it's an it's a interesting story on how this happened. So I've written three books in the last 12 months, so it's been a really busy, busy year. So Damn. the first book, I'll start there just because it makes it very, very simple to explain. But So the first book was Bodybuilding for Beginners, and when, when I first started lifting weights, like I was, like I said, I, I did it for wrestling, but deep down, like it was all about bodybuilding and not competitive bodybuilding. Bodybuilding is I wanted to build muscle and get lean and just be jacked. Like that, that was what I wanted, but I didn't feel like there was a, like the book that I read was Arnold's encyclopedia of modern bodybuilding, like that thick ass book. And it was awesome. Like, man, I loved, I loved that book, but thinking back, I'm like, man, I wish I would have had a book that was written for beginners that laid everything out in uh, easy to understand easy to digest information, and then provided just a simple program to follow. That way I wasn't doing the, the programs from the magazine. So that was the first book, Bodybuilding for Beginners. It was the book I wish I had when I first started. And then I wrote a second book right after that. And it's, the title is The Beginner's Guide to Weightlifting, but really it was a companion book to Bodybuilding for Beginners, but without the emphasis on bodybuilding. It was the book, because I always get asked when I'm at parties or at family gatherings, like, hey, I've never really worked out before. What should I do? So that's what the second book was. It was essentially just a, a book for beginners that they've never really lifted. It was like the book you'd give to your aunt and uncle. So then after the success of those two, I was like, oh, I really want to do a strength book. And that's what my, that's what I love. So I wanted to do a strength book. This was like last November. And so I signed with my publisher. We got the, got the, the third book, got the outline all set up. And my goal was, I want to do a strength book, but I want to make it all encompassing. I know a lot of people who train at home. Now, mind you, this was last November. Like, I know there's a lot of people who train at home, whether they have no equipment at all, just have a set of dumbbells and like an adjustable bench, or they have a garage gym set up with just like a power rack and a barbell. And I, I just know a lot of people, a lot of clients over the years I've worked with have limited equipment. So my, I want to be like a strength program, strength book, but for training at home. So then fast forward, I write the whole book. I send in the final manuscript in February and then March, like the whole world collapses and everyone starts training at home. <laughs> so it's like, it, it, I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, I don't know if this is like a great coincidence for me from like a business standpoint, or is everyone going to be like, oh Kyle, he's like trying to capitalize on yeah. the the epidemic and have all those issues and everyone's having to train at home. And now Kyle comes out with a book, but really it's a, it's a, it's strength training for beginners, but it's really strength training for home. Like I go over how to get stronger by using just your body weight, how to get stronger with just using dumbbells and a bench, and then how to get stronger with like a, a power rack and a, a barbell. So that's, I mean, that's what the book is. It's essentially strength training at home. 
<laughs> and, and what's the title again? It's called Strength Training for Beginners. So I'll, I'll link that in the show notes very big because I know there's going to be literally so many people listening to this that literally need that book. It's very yeah. coincidental. But it, I mean, you could, I guess somebody could, could say you're trying to capitalize, but at the end of the day, like to me, that's like the most helpful strength book that can come out right now. So, oh, yeah. you know, it, it, it was capitalizing by accident, but mm-hmm. like more than mm-hmm. anything, it's, it's kind of filling a void because it's not something a lot of people think to write about actually. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but in, when I wanted to write this book, I, w- I was really thinking about it because I'm like, man, I just don't want to write another strength book because oh, there's a lot of them. I mean, and I've written a bunch of eBooks myself that are strength eBooks. I'm like, hey, I don't really want to do that. What, what do people need? And that was really what I thought. And then now, I mean, people only need it, need it more so. Yeah. hundred percent. I love <laughs> it. So I'm going to link that in the show notes. Where else uh, can everybody find you? Before we yeah, go, so the, you put out a lot of good content. Yeah, yeah. So the website, my website, you can find most everything, articles, podcasts, and stuff is kylehuntfitness.com. If you like this podcast, you'll probably like mine. It's the Absolute Strength Podcast. You can find that anywhere podcasts are found and then on Instagram at Hunt Fitness. Perfect, man. I'm going to link all that in the show notes. Highly recommend everybody go check that out. Um, all of it out, not just the book, but his podcast. I mean, you have a lot of really good guests on there too. So um, for everybody listening, but the reason we're doing this is because we have so many things in common. So I, I definitely think you guys will enjoy that. But uh, man, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of The Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.